and welcome to Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Revamped for the 90s, so much more exciting. I'm Matsy. And I'm a dweeb. I'm Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, timing. <laughs> On Animation Celery, we give each other cartoons to watch. Then we get back together and discuss and review them. This time, we mutually decided to review the first four episodes of the little-known Masters of the Universe sequel series, The New Adventures of He-Man. But if you know the show, first we ramble and stuff. So, Matsy, what's been going on? I, as I often do, I stumbled across something that I watched one episode of and didn't look at the rest, but decided that I should talk about it anyway. Okay. Um, apparently, there's a Patrick Starr show now. Ah. Um, this is a sequel, no, prequel to SpongeBob SquarePants. And it focuses on Patrick living at home with his parents and his sister. And SpongeBob and Squidward are there as his little kitty friends. Okay. Um, and the, the sort of core conceit of it is that he, you know, he's a young I don't know if he's exactly a child, but he's definitely young. Okay. And he, for whatever reason, puts on his own television show, which isn't actually on television as far as I can tell. It's, there's like a TV shaped window box coming out of the side of his bedroom hmm? that he just stands in front of and like performs this show for anyone who happens to be passing by. Cute. Um... Patrick in this show is a really hyper idiot. Okay. And in SpongeBob, SpongeBob is the hyper idiot. And Patrick is an idiot, but he's like a slow idiot. And I don't mean slow like dumb. I mean, in terms of speed, you know, he's got a like, dial. He freaks yeah, out too. He can. Yeah. But in this one, he's like that dial is turned up all the time. Like he is just bouncing off the walls and it's really weird because it is so out of character for that character. Did they give him a new voice? No. Huh. All right. All, all the characters have the same voices. Um, like uh, in the in the episodes that I saw, there's there's him, there's SpongeBob, there's Squidward, there's Plankton. Um, I didn't see Mr. Krabs, although I'm not going to say he's not in it. Hmm. Um, but there's also his sister who is a squid for some reason. Okay. And his parents and his grandfather. I like the grandfather because he's voiced by Dana Snyder hmm. and Dana Snyder would be best known as master shake in <laughs> Aqua okay. Teen hunger force. Um, but he's also, um, he he's shown up in a few things and it's always really neat because he's got a cool voice. Uh, he is uh, the life giving Magus in An uh, Animal Crossing in Adventure Time. Hmm. And he is granny <laughs> in Squidbillies. OK, I don't know if you've seen Squidbillies. I know of Squidbillies. Yeah, you um, know, I, I kind of feel like I've always felt that Patrick is not my favorite character from SpongeBob. Yeah. And I don't like when he has to carry a lot of the load. Yeah. You know, he's best when like little segments. I sure. Think. So this sounds, um, you know, like maybe a questionable endeavor. 
I think that is a good way of describing it. I did not particularly like it. I found the trying to make Patrick the SpongeBob of a show Mm. is really jarring and doesn't work because it's not that character. Hmm. It's just weird to see him doing all these like SpongeBob style pratfalls, you know, like um, something early on. He has a pet urchin named Ouchie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's early on, he like falls on Ouchie and he's like the spikes are in his little star forehead thing. And he like pulls Ouchie off and there's these little holes in it that kind of whistle the, you know, at the end of the SpongeBob sque- uh, um, theme, he plays his nose and it goes like, yeah, like yeah. that little thing. And it yeah. kind of whistled that tune. Okay. Um, but then, you know, like that's not like if that's Patrick shouldn't be doing like high speed things like that. Or then he starts kissing ouchies like, who's the best urchin? And he's got like, you know, it does the like close up painted picture where he's got all these spines in his lips and one going through his right. eyelid and all this stuff. And just really weird, like goofball decisions like he there's. He he's decides it's first thing in the morning, so he has to brush. And so he gets this giant toothbrush and puts it in a pencil sharpener to shrink it down to a little toothbrush and then puts a bunch of toothpaste on it, opens his mouth and then closes it and bugs his eyes out and starts brushing his eyes instead. Ah, like, all this weird hyper stuff that's it's dumb enough for Patrick to do, but like the the, the pace of it is so, you know, Patrick wouldn't figure out how to do things that dumb that quick. Hmm. You know? I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like, uh, when he has that rhythm of, like, conversing with people, like, oh. Yeah. And yeah, it's still yeah. Bill Faberbake's voice, too. So he's like, I don't know. It's a questionable decision, I think. Um, you know, it's it's almost a why does this exist, but the reason why it exists is because it's Spongebob. Right. And, you know, it's, you know, it's SpongeBob, like, I think we've talked it up quite a lot, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's got to be played out. Like, what was hmm. it, 15, 15 years as a television series, and then they have, they want to make a series that is, as you say, conveys the same energy and the same humor. Yeah. Same visuals. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't think it's necessary. No, you're right. Like, it's, it's just there to have more SpongeBob. It's, Mm. you know, and as long as SpongeBob keeps making money and as long as it's, you know, it's probably, I mean, I haven't watched it recently. My guess would be that it's kind of plateaued in that it's maintaining the same quality because it doesn't have to be any better and circumstances aren't making it worse. Not like the Simpsons where, you know, the circumstances around its production have uh, visibly led to its decline in quality. Hmm. Um, I think something like SpongeBob, you know, if you just keep doing the same thing, maybe it's played out, but as long as the, you know, kids keep growing out of it, another keeps kids keep growing (laughs) into it. Like there's a perpetual cycle of an audience for it. And maybe now that Steven Hillenburg is dead, they'll, they'll lose the plot on it and it'll fall apart. I don't know, but you know, it, it seems to be keeping Tom Kenny in houses, so hmm. 
He's the voice director in the Patrick Star show, too. Oh, OK. Yeah. So I don't know. They're still cranking out SpongeBob even when they shouldn't, I guess. Hmm. I feel like there was something else that, oh, I caught a glimpse of, I think it's an Amazon Prime original. There's a new Rocky and Bullwinkle. Oh, okay. And it seems to have the same heart as the original, but it looks ugly. <laughs> it's not as uh, polished as the original, huh? I can, <laughs> Well, you know, you put it that way. Like, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I glanced at it. Mostly I was curious about what, Ro- uh, yeah, what Rocky's voice was going to be. Mm-hmm. Because there's a distinct Rocky voice and June Foray is long dead. Mm. Well, not long dead, but but uh, the voice they got was actually Tara Strong. OK, who is pretty much everyone nowadays. Right. Um, she is. Let's see. Twilight Sparkle in My Little Pony. She is uh, the the kid. What's his name? Timmy. In Fairly Odd Parents. Right, right. Uh, Raven in the various incarnations of Teen Titans. You know. Most most recently, Ms. Minutes from Loki. Okay. Okay. I think she's one of the Powerpuff Girls, too. Hmm. I can't remember which one. But, yeah. So, it, they got her. And, you know, she's... Hey, she's doing a voice. I did not instantly recognize that it was Tara Strong. I was like, okay, that's it. I, if in the absence of June Foray, I will accept this as Rocky. Hmm. But you know, it it, it 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 didn't compel me to watch it. I just kind of flipped through it and like you know, darting here and there. There's something about because it, it has the same kind of thing where it recaps what happened in the last episode, and then this episode happens, and then it says that the next episode will have this title or this title. Right, right. So you know, it's it's hitting all the all the appropriate uh, points of a Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoon. And I appreciate that because Rocky and Bullwinkle is pretty good. I'll have to look this up. So, because my, my coworker that review that uh, pushes all the 70s stuff on me. Yeah. His uh, fixation is that we should review a uh, commander Bragg episode. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the old codger that's by the spinning globe. That yeah. te- tells tall tales. And yeah. From one of one of the many characters who tells tall tales right, in right. various ways in, in yeah. Rocky and Bullwinkle family. I got the, 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 the greater Rocky and Bullwinkle family of shorts. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, I basically just watched a couple of reboots of existing properties with mixed success. Uh, okay. What did you do? Well, uh, I'll keep you abreast on where I am in Star versus the Forces of Evil. Sure. Um, I've just reached the part where um, where Marco has moved to Muni. Aha. So this yeah. is the this is kind of the setup point of season three. It's flipping the script. Yes. Yes. And uh, we get a whole lot of Eclipsa in episodes, which is pretty fun. Yes. That she is the meat of season three. <laughs> Yeah, she's pretty entertaining. And, and the show overall is entertaining. I'm still having fun. Good. Um, I also, uh, on, on the old Netflix, I watched uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Char's Counterattack. Wow. Yeah. So this is like a mobile, this is a, a Gundam uh, movie. Okay. That I'd seen before, 
but without the context of having seen like a lot of the series. Now, just remind me and the other celery stalkers real quick. Yes. Is is Mobile Suit Gundam what people might know as Robotech? It is not. Okay. Um, Mobile Suit Gundam is a sci-fi series with longevity enough to stand with the big ones like Doctor Who and uh, oh. uh, Star Trek and uh, what's the other one? And it, it, it's long running. Like the first one was in 1979. Okay. And there has been a Gundam pretty much almost every year since. All right. And it's daunting to try to get into because sure. there is so much of it. Yeah. They also don't do you any favors because some of the Gundam series will be called like Gundam 0083, which leaves you wondering like, uh, well, this can't be the 83rd one, right? <laughs> is that like uh, the uh, design number of a mobile suit or something or... Um, yeah. uh, so this is, uh, I guess three years ago, four years ago, something like that. I decided that I would take a crash course in Gundam. Okay. I decided I'm going to watch them in, uh, order of release. And, uh, so the thing about one of the, one of the other things that's kind of confusing about Gundam is that there have been a lot of incontinuity, uh, sequel series and movies and so on. And, you, uh, Sometimes people call the, the main continuity of Gundam Universal Century. Okay. Those numbers are like the year it is. They they started counting years from when uh, mankind colonized space. Okay. And you know, funny, uh, it wasn't until before we started recording, I'd never realized that the the first Gundam takes place in the year 0079 because mm -hmm. it was released in 1979. Oh. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Um, 10,000 years in the future that the, the Windows operating system has rolled over. It was Y210K <laughs> and it reflipped back to zero. Yeah. yeah. So um, they have like this continuing plot line, the Universal Century one. But like a lot of long running series, it's so convoluted and big now. And that also means it includes a lot of really bad stuff, too. That mm. they have since, like, a lot of the time they make different continuity series that touch on the same, that have the same touchstones of Gundam, but are different settings, right? Right. Different conflicts. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so basically I decided I'm going to watch the Universal Century stuff in order of release. Okay. So I watched that, you know, 1979 Gundam, and then I watched uh, uh, Gundam Zeta as the follow-up series. And okay. then I got to Gundam Double Zeta. And I had to stop because it was so stupid. <laughs> like Gundam, it's got wacky stuff in it. It's got kids doing crazy stuff, but it's also kind of sober. Yeah. Right. Like it, it has a perspective that war is terrible. Right. So you get to see the horrors of war and you get to see that the enemy is just as human as you are and has the same concerns or whatever, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. It's one of those things that is, uh, in some ways insincere because at the same time they're like, <laughs> you know, buy our robots, buy our robots. Right. <laughs> these, these weapons of death sure are cool, but war is terrible. So bad. Yeah. Right. Um, but anyway, so the first, the first couple series have a more sober tone. And then the second series actually ends with like, has an ending that sh will shock you. Right. Uh, -huh. so for whatever reason, they decided the third series would just be wacky. It would just be like a parody 
Mm. Which, you know, makes it really hard to take seriously when you've followed a lot of life and death up to that point. Yeah. And I think even beyond that, some of the decisions, this is the kind of like jump in the shark for Gundam where they have to dance around it. And to the point where when they make uh, newer stuff, sometimes they set it in between. Mm-hmm. Like Hollywood's kind of doing this now where they'll tease like, we're going to come up with an Aliens movie, but we're going to pretend that it, none of those other Aliens movies happened. And this one takes place after Aliens. <laughs> you know, they're, they're doing that kind of thing in Hollywood now, but they, they don't really do that. In mm-hmm. these Gundam things, but they insert before it gets stupid, right? It's like, this is what happened b- between these series. Right. And that kind of thing. And uh, I don't know. I think it's kind of like um, broadening myself for animation to wa- to try to watch that, right? Because <laughs> okay. it's good in some ways. It's not good in other ways. Mm-hmm. Like, they do, they do some things that are really kind of clever in Gundam, like... Uh, Various uh, conceits, like they, they have they have story conceits for why things are the way they are. Yeah. So, uh, for example, they discovered a uh, like a new, uh, uh, I guess it's a particle reaction that can give them basically limitless energy. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, but the, there's an off. Sh- there's a a side effect to that is that it like distributes Minovsky particles that make uh, various like radiation detection and the like, unreliable. Hmm. So, you know, space warfare is not necessarily this long range combat thing because there's Minovsky particles, you know, getting rid of your, your computer guidance and whatever. Hmm. Interesting. And, and, and it's like one of the conceits for why, uh, there's so much hand to hand combat between their mobile suits. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Or like, uh, you know, why are there so many children? Well, one of the themes in Universal Century is that uh, living in outer space for prolonged periods of time, some people become what are known as new types. So you could think of them as sort of like co-originated alongside Jedi, right? That new mm. types are, they they have like ESP, right? And they start designing mobile suits specifically for their expanded... Uh, capabilities Um, anyway so yeah i I, it was kind of interesting to get to watch char's counterattack again with the knowledge of having seen you know like two and a half series that happened before then right right way Hmm. back it seemed kind of indecipherable and i'm the sort of person where i don't mind if a show doesn't hold your hand you know yeah they just get right into it and they start you know Go right into the story and expect you to catch up, right? Sure. But this does it way too much. It just like hmm. comes comes in right at the beginning and it's like, oh, there's they're fighting in outer space. Char's dropping an asteroid onto Earth. And uh, the last time we saw Char was a whole series ago when he appeared to have died. So it just <laughs> like it's it's too fast, this mm. thing. Too much story and not enough storytelling. Too much pew pew. Yeah. Just so I don't. Just so I don't bash my head against this, what is the series that people would best know as Robotech? Oh, uh, Macross. That's the word. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Not as, uh, oh, that, that's, we can discuss that another day because that's, that is wacky. No, I'm, I'm not looking for discussion. It was just like, well, if Gundam isn't Robotech, then what is? Because I know it's called something else. Um, 
But yeah, no, Macross, that, yeah, that tracks. Why don't we start talking about the new adventures of He-Man? Yeah. Uh, boy. <laughs> new adventures of He-Man. Um, you probably have some notes on the production of this, uh, but the basic, basic idea is that it's 1989. Hmm. The Masters of the Universe toy line was super popular through the 80s, and the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe TV series was very popular, hmm. but its audience is starting to age out. And so right. they needed something new. And so they created a new line of action figures, uh, a reboot of He-Man with all new characters and an all new toy design. They're like more GI Joe-ish and a little less big beefy guy-ish. And this is the cartoon series devised to sell those toys. New Adventures of He-Man, 1989. Um... Do you, before I get started explaining what these episodes are, uh, do you have any um, interesting details about the production of it? Well, I do find it kind of funky that this moved over to being like a Jean Chalopin produced thing that, uh, you know, like Inspector Gadget, you can really see see it in the animation, right? Yeah, yeah. Very different animation style. It's closer. It's It's almost anime. It's... In terms of right. 80s cartoons, it's closer to Transformers than it is to He-Man. Right. Uh, you know, when I was looking up stuff for this, I was, I mean, I guess I knew that filmation had stopped. Yeah. But it sort of was sobering to realize, oh, this is when it stopped, right? That, mm -hmm. that I, I guess Shiro was their last deal. Hmm. Which is, seems really weird, right? Because in terms of notoriety, in terms of, of, uh, Love, He-Man and then She-Ra were surely their most beloved properties of all time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the only other one that comes immediately to mind is Ghostbusters. Not, <laughs> not the real Ghostbusters. Although, ironically, the original Ghostbusters. Yes. No, they've made, they made tons of stuff, especially if you include their, the Lou Scheimer days before they became Filmation. Mm, sure. But yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of weird to look at it and go like, wow, they stopped. And and you noted that this looks more like Transformers. Yeah. That, yeah, they had, uh, this was farmed out to Japan, right? To, to get the animation done. But Filmation notably did not do that. Mm -hmm. Filmation was like all in-house America animation, which, you know, definitely gave them their own look that is... Uh, for sure. You know, pretty fun to revisit. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely got to look. It's a little cheap in play. Like, you can see the places where they're cutting. This is the original He-Man oh, yeah. series we're talking about. Like, you can see, you know, that same rolling animation. Or yeah. the, the great story is that the, the floating magician character was originally named Gorko. Yeah. But they changed it to Orko. Because so the G was hard to draw. So, no, not so. Not because it was hard to draw, because it wasn't oh. symmetrical. They right. made it they a symmetrical character so they could flip it depending on they could use the same cells, the and same animation cells repeatedly with Orko facing in different directions. Oh, I have something for that. Um, and uh, Facebook keeps pumping this ad to me <laughs> for a uh, Kickstarter for a fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons rule set for the Wizard of Oz. Hmm. And one of the pieces of artwork that they've shown 
Mm-hmm. You know, you know, TikTok, the uh, the Army of Oz, the wind up soldier. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they have a picture of three of them, three mm. TikToks. Okay, but it's the same artwork, and they flipped two of them. <laughs> and he's got at various points of his design has the word Oz. Oh, yeah. They didn't adjust it. It's so flipped. It just says so. Yes. And the, the funny thing is to me is that <laughs> is that uh, the majority, the two of them have the flipped Oz. On them. <laughs> oh, that's ridiculous. So they weren't uh, they weren't as up as uh, the makers of Filmation He-Man. <laughs> but. <laughs> OK. All anyway, right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, let me let me we'll we'll uh, run through these first four episodes uh, and then we'll kind of talk about we'll we'll talk about it along the way and then we'll kind of give an overview at the end. So uh, first thing we got is episode one, which is called A New Beginning. And here's the story. Ten thousand years in the future, Primus sucks, <laughs> but the planet Primus lives in peace or attempts to. Because a band of mutants led by Flog wishes to crush the band of Les Claypool, Lair Lalonde, and Herb Alexander, but are fended off by the shield that envelops the planet of sick baselines. Unbeknownst to the citizens, however, the shield is maintained by a group of people apparently in some kind of stasis called the Inner Council, and it takes a lot of their energy to deflect mutant attacks, and they are starting to die off. They can't hold out much longer. Combat is outlawed on the planet for some reason to maintain the peace, but the planet's leader, Sebrion, has devised a way to save the world. He has calculated that (laughs) a time hole will open soon and that the power of the good and the way of the magic can be brought (laughs) back from the past to save them. Oh, yes. If only, they, they no longer have the power of the good and the way of the magic. They mm, they have cars, but they don't have... Anyway. Um, I, actually, they, he explicitly says that they don't have magic, right? I, I think he does, but... Isn't he himself a wizard? He, he puts a shield around himself at some point. Yes. And then this other girl... What was, what's her name? Uh, Drissy. Uh, she, yes. she, she has the power to communicate with animals. Right. Maybe maybe if we're putting this in D and D terms, they don't have arcane energy, but they have psionics. It's all the weave of the same magic, baby. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they've these ridiculous scientists have developed a time machine and this small team of Captain Hydron and Flipshot travel back in time to find the power of the good and the way of the magic. And it turns out apparently that Primus is not only an alternative rock band, but also Eternia, I guess. You'd think that. You'd think that. You would think that. Because they, they they don't recognize any difference when they time travel back. Yeah, and then there's a, a later sequence where it like actually time lapses Snake Mountain. Yes, but apparently it isn't the same planet. Because they also, like Skeletor, you know, like to jump ahead yeah. a little bit, Skeletor says, you know, he wants to... Be, the flog to teach him the ways of this galaxy. Like, I mean, now it's possible this is new to Skeletor because space travel hadn't been uh, evolved in his time in Eternia. Hmm. But it's also weird that it's like 
the planet has a different name and it all seems to be like, I mean, 10,000 years is a long time. Who knows if whatever society runs the earth, we'll call it the earth in the year 12,000, but it's weird. Yeah. They sure lead you on to think that it's Eternia, right? But actually, they lead you both ways. They really lead you both ways. I looked ahead just to, uh, to see what the, like if it's detailed in the episodes or whatnot, but, uh, in the He-Man lore, uh, Primus exists, and it's mm-hmm. a world that Hordak conquered. So huh. it's not Eternia, but they sure make you think it is. Oh, is that, you know, that would actually make a bit of sense if the, mm-hmm. if the leader of the Horde is Horde Prime, that his home planet would be Primus. Ha. Huh. I don't know if that's the case. They're from Despondo or something, right? But uh, Well, the mutants are... Oh, actually, wait. No, we're right. mixing it all up. The you're horse right, from Despondo. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay. Well, but, there's, yeah. I mean, I I can't remember the origin of them in the, because they're in in the last season of the Netflix She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, yeah. um, the horde of Etheria becomes less of a factor than Horde Prime's horde. Okay. But I won't spoil that for you, but like, I will say that. I was looking forward to find an example of like He-Man on the beach coming across a half-submerged Castle Grayskull <laughs> <laughs> and like banging his fist. You maniacs! <laughs> well, I, I, I think I like to think that it would be like the snake that's wrapped around Snake Mountain. Sure, yeah. sure. Anyway, um, so because this is, I guess, Eternia, let's say, uh, okay. the visitors are immediately captured by some of Skeletor's goons, not any of Skeletor's goons that we know, just new ones. I think his name is like Andros or something. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Real name. <laughs> Andros Robertson. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just thinking Andros is the villain in Star Fox. Um, right. okay. So there's captured by skeletons, gro- goons, and they're brought to snake mountain. Meanwhile, He-Man is walking along as He-Man. And he receives a telepathic message from the sorceress that she's seen a vision of these visitors and that he must travel with them to save the future. Now, it's it's kind of interesting that she says that he has to save the future and he immediately assumes that this is via time travel rather than just something he has to do now. OK, yeah, but, I don't know. He ha- he's a little hesitant, but he decides to leave. Um, he reveals his secret identity to King Randor and Queen Marlena, who mm. have a very low-key reaction to it. <laughs> wow. They're like, I'm so proud. You? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's literally it. That's literally it. Um, mm. And he is content to leave because the sorceress has prophesied that he is leaving behind a world without Skeletor, which I will say is actually a really good, you know, like I'm thinking like, Okay, they, he needs to leave to save the future, but, you know, he's kind of needed here. But mm. if Skeletor is not here anymore, then, okay, yeah, I guess He-Man isn't really needed either. Um, yeah. Now, the reason that Skeletor is not here is because he is seeing an opportunity with the um, uh, Hydron and Flipshot. Because they are from this world where they are unable to defend themselves, despite Hydron clearly having a knife strapped to his leg. <laughs> yeah. Um and so he pretends to be the source of the good and the magic. And he says he'll go back with Hydron and Flipshot uh, to the new planet, which is ripe for conquest. But He-Man intercepts them and they begin fighting. Each of them, you know, 
claiming Spock style to be the good one. Mm. And the time hole is closing. So Hydron and Flipshot just take them both. Yeah, Bill both, and Ted style. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. They take them both <laughs> back to the planet of Mr. Crinkle. And Skeletor briefly attempts to maintain this charade in front of uh, Sebrion and uh, Mara and Drissi. Mara, by the way, it's, note on Mara. Mara is a woman who seems to be Sebrion's assistant. Mm. But here's the thing that really stuck out to me. And I, I, I hope that this means something. In the Netflix She-Ra, Mara is the name of the previous She-Ra. Hmm. She is, she's dead, long dead, obviously, which is why Adora is the current She-Ra. But Mara's actions are extremely consequential and important to the story of uh, that She-Ra. So I, obviously that wasn't thought of here, but I like to think that the folks who made She-Ra, I like to think that this was a conscious decision to use the name Mara. Hmm. I don't That's know what it means, but it, it is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. She barely does anything in the episodes we're going to talk about. But yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Um, so, so Skeletor briefly attempts to maintain the charade, but then the mutants attack because I guess they've gotten through the shield and he sees who he should be allied with and abandons the ruse. Um, obviously, He-Man fights off the, the mutants and Skeletor travels back with Flog as his henchman. Flog is pretty inept here. Like, yeah. Skeletor just shows up and he's, Flog's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm the guy who's hitching a ride with you. And Flog's like, uh, and then just gets into the ship with him. Mm. Um, so back on their home base, uh, he strikes a deal with the mutants where he will help them destroy Primus while they help him destroy He-Man. And He-Man pledges his service to Sebrion, with Adam taking on the identity of Sebrion's nephew, a merchant from out of town. And Hydron teaches Flipshot not to panic in emergencies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the same PSAs that they yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, uh, a little. Filmation. A little. A little. <laughs> they, these are, appropriately enough, more like Inspector Gadget, though, where they don't <clears throat> talk to the camera and they're just in situation, you know? Y yes, that is true. The, like, you know, I remember Flipshot. Don't panic. <laughs> Nick. Um, so. Yeah. So do you have anything else you want to say here? I mean, I kind of do. Well, well uh, I realized they couldn't show a lot. Right. And they wouldn't want to draw a whole lot of those old characters who will only appear in this first episode. Yeah. But Adam didn't say goodbye to Cringer. Yeah. What's up with Cringer? He wasn't there at all. Um, I kind of noticed that the first time he transformed into He-Man mm. and I was like, oh, this is the part where he would because the the I have the power drags on for a really long time. Mm. It's like, I have the power. And I'm like, <laughs> and by this point, he'd normally be turning Cringer into Battle Cat. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it's an Adventure Time kind of thing where Cringer's dead. Oh, my God. <laughs> Didn't even have any kittens. Well, I mean, he'd be too afraid to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a girl. Oh, man. Why didn't they have a Cringer's Date episode? <laughs> Wait, they did. They did. Did uh, they? Yes, there was like a white lion in a circus that he was deeply attracted to. <laughs> oh. And yeah, he was kind of uh, 
uh, shy, <laughs> but but uh, uh, he could find his courage to fight off monsters for her. Right. Right. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't have any specific points about this episode, although I have points of general points about this series. But uh, let's go ahead. Let's to episode. On. Yeah, let's go ahead. To episode yeah. two. Talk about episode two and then we can talk about specifics. Episode two is called Quest for the Crystals. As this is an 80s cartoon. All right. So it begins with Skeletor ingratiating himself to the mutants to the degree where he starts calling the shots instead of their leader, Flog. As you noted, uh, Flog is pretty pliable. <laughs> I guess he's not used to being challenged. Yeah. Um, Skeletor commands Slushhead, a mutant that's got his head in a jar full of swamp water, to go to Primus and to take surveillance pictures. Meanwhile, Sebrion takes He-Man to meet the ruling council, uh, Werbin, the caretaker for the encapsuled counselors, is at odds with Sebrian's devotion to time travel to find an answer for the mutants, rather than just making some weapons. And accordingly, he's unimpressed with He-Man on first impression. Outside, in his shuttle pod, Sebrian, oh, not Sebrian, uh, Slushhead, spots Drissy and Kaz tending to their flock. Yeah, I, Those... didn't, I didn't actually mention Kaz. Um... He's, well, he's, 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 uh, uh, Drissy's little brother. Yes. And he, uh, constantly wants to prove himself against the mutants. Yeah. You know, put him up, put him up. I'll splat him. Yeah. 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 So the mutant can't help himself and he chases and shoots at the siblings, but He-Man arrives and damages the shuttle and saves the shepherds. And despite the setback, a slush head manages to get back to the battleship with his photos. This leads to a ploy to damage the Trifusium Generator. <laughs> it keeps Planet Primus from overheating. So, the only, and once they've damaged it, the only place that replacement crystals can be gotten are from Gorn City on Denebrium, the home planet of the mutants. With them needing crystals now, He-Man, Hydron, Flipshot, and you are a robot resurrect a long inactive spaceship to go purchase crystals. Only after they lift off do they realize that Kaz, the little boy, has stowed away. I think you have the wrong robot here. I think it's Gleep. I don't think so. I think Gleep is the other one. The bulbous one. Gleep is the one that went with them to Gorn. You are is the one that um, he is with the scientists in episode three. Uh, you are, I think, is the one with the tank treads that become legs, yeah? Yeah. Oh, he didn't go to the... Okay. They, they well, both have... Well, whatever. They're two dumb robots with budget Frank Welker voices that aren't Frank yes. Welker. <laughs> um, so, the three dudes and a robot and a little boy who stowed away go to uh, Denebrium. There, He-Man arranges a meeting with a Cyclops named Meliak to purchase Trifusium crystals at a mine shaft. Now, did this seem weird to you? Like, I realize they're on the mutant home planet, but they've devised a personality for Adam to be a merchant. <laughs> and he didn't use it here. Well, he's not Adam, and Kaz can't know that. 
None of them can know that. I guess. Like he's maintaining his secret identity. <laughs> if it worked by the filmation logic, He-Man would be there and like, what are you doing on this planet? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Adam's safe. Don't worry. He ran around the corner. I didn't find that part of it weird, but I was just kind of like the whole time it was like this, like he was so naive to just walk in and say, I've got a bunch of money. Where can I buy crystals? <laughs> like in, yeah. in a place that just looks like, you know, it's like one of those saloons where everybody looks at the person when they come in and gives them the stink eye because he's clearly not a villain, you know, and he's just right. coming in like, no, do do. I've got a bunch of money I'm looking to burn it. Yeah. And then Han Solo shoots him and takes his money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, as you say, when it times, uh, the time comes to make the exchange, it turns out to be an ambush. Meliak and his goons are working for Skeletor. And even though that's so, Meliak has some kind of code of honor because he lets Kaz leave. His code of honor is that one of his goons says that um, Meliak lost his son in a cave-in. So mm. he's sensitive to children being uh, uh, casualties in battle. Fair amount of depth for a mutant side character. Yeah. So He-Man dispatches the flunkies and then Skeletor shows up to cast Meliak down a pit as a cost for failure. He-Man rescues Meliak and earns his friendship and non-participation <laughs> in the mono e mono With some power sword lassoing, He-Man throws Skelly down the pit. Yeah, he can make lassos out of his sword like She-Ra can. Um, yeah. And yet he I've... opted to instead throw the actual sword as a handle for Meliak to use to climb up. Huh. He didn't have time. He panicked. <laughs> You know, I don't mind it so much, but like in, in this show, He-Man rarely does strong guy stuff. Yeah, I know. For the most that. part. Yeah, for the most part, he just deflects lasers with his sword, which is part of his kit. But there's no punching boulders or hur hurling boulders. There was, you know, what a, was it? The fourth? I guess the it was fourth the fourth one. episode. Like he finally does the strong guy thing. There's yeah. a there's a machine. You'll get to it. But like there's a machine yeah. with like a clamp grip thing. And literally when he held on to it, I actually questioned, like, is he going to be able to break this? I had to actually remind, remind myself yourself. that it's yeah. he man and he probably can because he just had not been portrayed that way up to this point. And like his character design is not a, a you bulge of muscle he looks like an ordinary right. man in this one yeah just like an athlete yeah, like yeah. a real athlete yeah, yeah 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 i don't his sword i don't mind that it's got this expanded capability it's basically hank's bow from dungeons and dragons <laughs> right he uses it to light the way can make a lasso kind of thing yeah it shoots sometimes like link's sword like link's sword yeah only when he-man has full life <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> So uh, this is the end of the episode. He-Man and the crew leave Primus and Hydran and Flipshot reveal that they're going to name the starship Eternia to honor He-Man. You know, an interesting thing about this is you the left continuity. out the most important part. Oh, did I? Yeah. What I what I miss out on? Flog instructing Sh Slushhead to check the depth of water before he dives into it headfirst. Oh, oh yes, yes. That's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's why he's the leader. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not he's not cruel like Skeletor. No, he's just a good leader. Yeah, yeah. So what were you gonna say? Sorry. Oh, this show. Well, actually, I guess this, we'll get into it 
in, in your beginning. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of funny. This show has continuity to it. Yeah. Like, yeah. What mattered last episode is what flows into this episode. Yeah. Like the, the next episode, like, picks up at this point. Hmm. Um, shall I go into it or do you have more yeah, to yeah. say? Okay. No, no, go ahead. Uh, the third episode is called The Heat, which I actually think is a pretty cool title. Hmm. It doesn't really mean anything, but because, you know, you would think that it has something to do with the planet's heat going up because the, the trifusium generator is down, but that is a minimal part of the plot. Um, what happens here is those four idiotic scientists whose names <laughs> I didn't bother to learn. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I got those. I got it's, those. It's like crack. Alcon. Yeah. Geppel. Yeah. Crex and Meldock. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, I even know which one's which. <laughs> I know which Alcon's one. Alcon's the tall one. Geppel's the one with the stupid hair and mustache. Yeah. Crex is the, uh, the purple one. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Uh, and then Melbox, the bald one. Yeah. The neck, the not necrophiliac, the uh, narcoleptic. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to watch out for necrophiliacs. You expanded the lore. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so these fools are uh, repairing the trifusium generator, but they can't do anything without the crystals. And just then He-Man arrives with the crystals. Uh, but then the the robot Gleep, the one who was with them on this ship, uh, reports that there's a mutant attack on the floating city of Leviton. So the starship Eternia and its crew rushes to the scene, but there's no attack. And they realize that the report was a diversion. And they return to the generator and find that the scientists have been kidnapped. But the robot UR was left behind in a pile of rubble. And his homing system is remarkably effective. There's no weird particles disrupting this one. Because he's able to track the scientists to another planet, specifically to the Quagmi Swamp, which is where Slushhead is from, and is the stinkiest place in the galaxy, apparently. Hmm. Uh, They head to the swamp, thankfully without Kaz this time. But they know that they're walking into a trap, so they get some equipment from the ship. And first, they visit the mutant ship and set up a surprise. After a brief setback involving a solar storm, which is remarkably localized and non-destructive for a solar storm, and serves mainly to tell us that He-Man can still communicate with the sorceress, they find the scientists. The mutants attack, and after a brief battle, Skeletor takes... Geppel. Yes, correct. Feels dirty using his name. Um, (laughs) Takes Geppel as a hostage. But He-Man counters that they've surrounded the mutant ship with a deadly laser web, and they'll only release it once Geppel is freed and they have safely reached Primus. Skeletor is hesitant, but... Flog can't bear staying on this planet, and once he points that out, neither can Skeletor... And so the heroes are allowed to go free. And back on Primus, the scientists learn not to skate on thin ice. Isn't it great that they followed don't check the water level before you dive with check the ice thickness before you skate? They want you to measure everything. (laughs) I think they were out of ideas by episode three. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, so continuity there. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, if 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 you were not paying attention, you wouldn't recognize that there was continuity. But <laughs> I guess <laughs> as like, we had to pay attention, we would we saw it. <laughs> I don't know. I think the plot's kind of like, you know, you can't have this plot without the other. Like, well, I, yeah. I guess you sort of can. Like, it's, well, something it, else could have been wrong. It's sort of like um, Star Trek five or or maybe four, where it's like, well, we're on they this, start planet, off in a Klingon we're on this planet with a Klingon warship. I guess let's yeah. go to Earth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's there's that. And um, I guess that leaves us the, I mean, everything's fine now. They got the, the triphasium generators fixed. Uh, the, you know, the temperature is presumably going down because they were able to make ice. What could possibly oh. happen in episode four? Oh, Matsy, I don't trust these mutants. Oh, you're racist. <laughs> Actually, let's take a little break here. Oh, no, I'll, I'll get to it here because uh, there's a character that leads into this. Okay. Uh, episode four, attack on Honor. As in a city called Onor. Yeah, I, I didn't mention it, but Onor is the... The people on this planet seem to live in a subterranean city called Onor. Mm. I, I guess I didn't mention it because it wasn't really explicitly clear until this no, episode. No, but it's the episode title yeah. here, so... Uh, the animation takes a little hit in this episode. Boy, that's my first note. Mine too. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is the way of cartoons like this, right? Some of them have a worse director. Some of them have less money and time. Yeah. Yeah. So two of the mutant thugs, Hoove and Karate, <laughs> have sc scouted a secret entrance to the city of Ondor. <laughs> the tubes. Ondor, of course, as you mentioned, is where the council resides and where the planetary shield is maintained. Meanwhile, down on Primus, Kaz gives He-Man a tour of the fields and orchards that are run by some kind of hippopotam hippopotamus man named Grot. Yeah. This is where I'm going to get into this. So they fear the mutants. And some of the mutants are okay, but they're not as weird as Skeletor's main gang. Yeah. And you could argue that Grot, as a hippopotamus guy, is weirder than any of those mutants. I was, yeah. Like, I was like, where is the line between acceptable mutant and like is the line that grot is of a race that resides on primus whereas mutants are from despondo or whatever the planet was called desmondia yeah. um Inebrian. yeah like is that the line is it not so much mutants as it is off-worlders and you know because they were able to just fly to there that planet and land there and try to do commerce it seems to me that not all mutants are necessarily marauders. Yeah, true. But, you know, I mentioned earlier that I've been watching Star versus uh, the Forces of Evil. Yes. I'd gotten to that episode where finally they addressed it, where Star was asking her mother, the queen, about the line between being a monster and being like a good guy monster. Yeah. Noting that like uh, Romulus has snakes for arms. How is he not a monster? Yeah, um, that the whole monster thing, like you're seeing hmm. bits of it here with people's distrust of Eclipsa because she married right. a monster. Right. Um, the whole monster thing is really the main point of season four. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see that was going. But anyway, yeah. so it's it's a funny thing in this show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, karate and hoof 
attack the garden in their terror claw, a vehicle with a prominent claw that grabs things. Yeah. Uh, very, very toyetic. Yes, I, I had that thought, too. And there is a toy for it, actually. I'm sure there is. Anyway, it's kind of a funny thing. They had a mission, just like uh, Slushhead did in the prior episode. Yeah. But I guess that's the thing with mutants, that they just can't resist causing some mayhem hmm. when they really should be staying on mission. Yeah. <laughs> so Karate <laughs> fights He-Man using his karate. <laughs> Jeez. He's like the successor to Jitsu. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you think it's funny that he's got, like, vaguely Asian facial characteristics? And voice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I opened up, I was like, I couldn't quite hear the names of these characters sometimes. So right. I opened up the Wikipedia page. And as soon as I read karate, I was just like, oh, mm. like I, I just. K-A-R-A-T-T-I. Yeah. Karate. Who uses K-A-R-A-T-E. Karate. Ugh. That is, that is such a, it's such a He-Man name though. It is. It is is quite on brand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm going to link this back to Star again. Mm. Uh, karate at first foolishly karate chops He-Man's sword and hurts his hand. Yeah. And I just watched an episode of Star where uh, Marco tried to bust some manacles with the karate chop. <laughs> with the same result. Yeah. But you know, actually, after he's disarmed He-Man, he's surprisingly effective at hand-to-hand -hand fighting. Well, I mean, you would think, yeah. He was also surprisingly effective at disarming He-Man. It was like his second attempt. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like his first attempt, ow, I can't attack the sword. So then the second one, he hit He-Man's hand and he got rid of the sword. I guess he's a pretty good henchman. I, how, you know, I mean, <laughs> he has exactly one job. <laughs> His name is Karate. There's one thing that you expect him to do. Did you look up what Hooves ability is? I did not. Is it something to do with his feet? Yes, he, do he doesn't demonstrate it in these cartoons, these ones that we were re reviewing, but he uh, kind of has a mule kick action. Oh, okay. And apparently they're both pretty strong too by the prior episode when they're like lifting trees and stuff. Yeah, there was, a, I actually, there was, I made a note of that dumb scene where they first attack in, in episode three and like mm. karate kicks a boulder free and throws it to Hoove who holds it up menacingly from the high ground above the heroes and then yeah. throws it to the side ineffectually. Mm. Like what was the point of that? <laughs> you're holding a just huge, to show off. You're holding a huge boulder standing above your targets, and right. then you just kind of toss it aside to say, "See, I could have thrown that on you." He's like Fezzik. I do not have to miss. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, um, he man, once he's knocked off of the terror claw, as we noted, he does like a feat of strength by overwhelming the claw, mm -hmm. and then. Grot takes a turn overpowering the vehicle, too, so that these two strong guys can bond. Yeah. So that night, it's kind of funny. This, that night, the, the plot proper begins <laughs> when Werbin, the council chamberlain, foolishly has a clandestine meeting with Skeletor to negotiate peace. Surprise! Bonehead takes the opportunity to put a mind control pendant on Werbin. On the other Bonehead. Yes. <laughs> So the next day, Werbin at the council is arguing to lower the shield, but eventually he literally just takes matters into his own hands 
by removing the key crystal so that the shield drops. The dropping of the shield lets the mutants launch an all-out all out assault on Honor. He-Man catches up with Werbin, now freed of the mind control, in the desert, and he prevents Skeletor from taking the shield system key. He-Man has to overcome a fire-breathing giant mole that Skeletor summons. And after that, his arch-nemesis himself. Meanwhile, the mutant mutants can't take advantage of their opportunity to attack hmm. because the scientists <laughs> filled the access tubes uh. to the city with sticky goo. Gebel's goo. Gebel's goo. <laughs> Boy, they say that name a lot and it's, well, they keep calling it goo. And Gebel's goo. And based on the Wikipedia, that Gebel's goo yeah. comes back multiple times in this series. Did you notice, like, with the time machine, they were all saying, like, this should be called after me, right? Because yeah, yeah. I designed this and that. <laughs> None of them were fighting to be named after the goo. Well, or have the goo named after some them. of them were like, you didn't invent it. I Like, they, they argued that right. he invented it, but none of them were like, you know, let's call it Crax's goo or yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> So to add insult to insult, when the mutants come out covered in goo, Hydron and Flipshot cover the sticky bad guys with feathers. That's ridiculous. They loaded loaded the Starship Eternia up with a payload of feathers for no no offensive effect. Like, they knew they'd be gooey, yeah, right? but like the, the <laughs> amount of effort that they that they put into plotting this out is like, oh, we should cover them with feathers after. Yeah, you know, as Hydron and Flipshot have like very little personality in these <laughs> episodes. But can you imagine like the snickering they're doing while they're loading the loading the feathers into the tubes? <laughs> man, this is gonna be good. Yeah, boy, <laughs> mm, man, that was so ridiculous. And so then we see uh, some workmen cleaning out the tubes. I think it's funny that they just look like regular earth uh, laborers. Yeah, they've just got jeans and T-shirts and baseball caps and they're driving driving vans around. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Planet Return of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because it's jarring because every other character like, you know, Hydron and Flipshot are, you know, they're dressed in like these outfits with like tubes and stuff on. And they look like, you know, they look like Centurions. Yeah, 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 yeah. They look like Max Ray and Ace McCloud. Yeah, yeah. And and, you know, like Sebrion and Werbin are just wearing like ascetic robes. And so does Adam. Like he's a merchant and he's wearing like this toga. But, you know, you know apparently. You know what the show looks like to me? What? It kind of looks like classic fantasy star. Hmm. Interesting. Especially especially when you look at the girls. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, anyway, you, you don't have to remind me this time. Uh, <laughs> the what, you, what you're supposed to learn is not to try to carry too much at once. <laughs> Everybody keeps dumping stuff in Grot's arms. Remember him? He was at the beginning of the episode. And uh, he trips up because he was trying to carry all that stuff. Yeah, I thought there was going to be some deeper message about not, you know, committing yourself to too much. Right. It was literally like, oh, guess I carried too much. Safer to take two trips. Yeah, yeah. It's actually pretty sensible. Well, yeah, but but like you said, they're running out of ideas. Yeah, so I think we can talk about the series as a whole. Okay. Um, Um... 
Go, go for it first. Okay. Skeletor is such a boob. Like, they gave him eyes instead of empty eye sockets. And that yeah. extra amount of expression that they gave him makes him look like an idiot. And he talks... Well, he talks, you know, I actually had to think about, you know, this was 1989 and I was thinking about when this would have been written and recorded and concepted um, mm-hmm. compared to when the Batman movie came out. Because Skeletor is like, you could make an argument that he's really trying to be the 1989 Joker here. Like, huh. just, you know, he's he's goofy in his villainous, he's always got a one-liner, you know, he's, he's not totally, he's evil in his intentions, but the way that he lays those intentions out is always so jokey. It's, you know, it's really weird. I'm of two minds on Skeletor. Uh-huh. So there's a good, there, there's a, that yes, your, your, your gut reaction is this is awful, mm-hmm. but he's actually kind of good at the same time. And okay. So the awful, yes, he's got eyes in his skeleton. He's got, Weird horse teeth where you like yeah. his sizes are projected. And his hat. His hat is the stupidest thing about it's him. It's this weird opinion. helmet. Yes. He doesn't look like his head is a skull or that his face is dissolved away to the skull. Mm. He looks like yeah. just a weird looking green headed alien. Yeah. Um, and OK, so his voice. Huh. Now, I've said before that I don't think like I think we'd be better off if just a new voice actor wouldn't try to emulate an old one. Yeah. Because I think the 2002 uh, Skeletor sounds pretty lame. He's just a bad, uh, a faded shadow of the first one, right? Mm-hmm. It's Alan Oppenheimer, right? Skeletor? Uh, the original Skeletor, yes. Yeah. Um, so this this one's voice seems terrible, and he looks terrible. But the voice slowly grows on me once I start to accept him. And here's the other weird thing. This is a strangely capable Skeletor. <laughs> yeah. Like this. We've never seen Skeletor use magic as much as this one does. Kind of. Yeah. He's zapping. He's summoning a monster. He's like, he's, he's mind controlling. And he always teleports for his escapes. Yeah. True. You're right. Like he's strangely capable. And, you know, and then he. He works his way into the mutants. I guess he's very persuasive. Yeah. But again, it's, he, he tries something and succeeds at it. It's really weird. He has a really high charisma stat. Yes. And he's, he's like, I never feel like He-Man is for sure overpowering the Skeletor. I feel like he has the edge, but it's not. <laughs> he's not embarrassing the Skeletor all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he does wrap him up and drop him in a pit and he does. Get him real wet with a cactus, but <laughs> yeah, the Skeletor, like Skeletor in the original series, his sort of, you know, he'll develop some kind of a plan and mm. inevitably the plan will go awry when He-Man interferes and his way of dealing with that is to just throw henchmen at He-Man until they fail and then he retreats. This Skeletor always feels like he has more of a plan. Yeah, it's like, like I said, he's in in the early you know when he's first presented like there's a there's a scene very early where he's talking to one of his guards where he's like i'm in a good mood i i might smile in fact i will and then he smiles and then Mm. he looks at the guard and the guard also smiles and skeletor says did i tell you you could smile and then he stops smiling and he's like you can you don't breathe unless i tell you to in fact Mm. stop breathing 
And so the guard stops breathing and he's like, there. Now, since I'm in such a good mood, I will allow you to breathe again. Like that whole little exchange, like that's that's what I'm talking about. Like it's goofy and jokey, but Mm. it's also competently sinister. Right. Like I said, it's weird, right? Yeah. The Skeletor looks terrible. He sounds kind of bad, but he's written with more respect than Skeletor usually gets. Yeah. Um, Speaking of sounding bad, the voice acting in this show in general is terrible. Yes. There is not one name. The only name in the voice list that I recognized was the casting director, Susan Blue. I recognize all these guys. You do? They're... Well, they're they're Vancouver guys. Yeah, this was recorded in Vancouver. And oh, don't make any mistake that I'm going to take up for them because <laughs> for the most part, this city's produced some awful uh, cartoon dubbing. <laughs> um, and OK, so like Gary Chalk borings it up as He-Man. Yeah. And in the 2002 Masters of the Universe, he's man at arms, boring it up there, too. <laughs> What is it with the city and a whole bunch of really flavorless male voice actors? I'm glad that you said male there because I was about to mention My Little Pony. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I don't love all the female voice actors, but at least like the male ones are so boring. And I have a little story about this. Like, uh, uh, who is it that uh, Venus Terzo voices somebody in this? Mm -hmm. Um, I think she she voices Mara. Okay. So way back, I took... um, uh, she had a voice workshop. Okay. And I took it and there was a bit where, you know, we had to like do voices from a script and the script was from this show. Huh. And when I looked at it, it I'm like you where this show came out and I think it was like, I can't believe there's 60 episodes because I'm convinced this thing was off TV right away. Yeah. It was on and then it was gone, yeah. at least from, from our broadcast area. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I wasn't that much interested anyways. The Skeletor looked and sounded stupid. Mm-hmm. So I I got the script and I was like, who the heck are any of these guys in this <laughs> script? Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, He-Man is here. But uh, there's, yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, and it was her opinion that the voice acting in this was like, she. I, I don't think she remembered or had any context what, what She-Man this was, but that the original He-Man had more like um, voice actors who would read commercial copy, right? Okay. That they weren't actors, really. Mm -hmm. And that it came through in their performance. But man, would I much rather hear those guys than these guys. Well, these guys were all putting on a voice. Like, you could tell that, especially Flog, like, his Mm. the way that he speaks is not the natural way that anyone would speak. It's like sticking right. out your jaw and trying to sound like a bad guy. Like, yeah, yeah. And he looks, I don't know why I had this thought, but yeah. every time I saw Flog's face, I thought he looked like a Dragon Ball Z character. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, <laughs> have you seen his toy face? <laughs> no. <laughs> if only they'd gone with a toy face. <laughs> I I remember there was one of the characters, I think it was Hoove, and as he started talking, I started thinking, like, he sounds a lot like Butthead from Beavis and Butthead. And then, right. I, and then I discovered that there's a character in this called Butthead. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I found the flog toy here. 
<laughs> oh my! <laughs> I like the one in the cartoon, but I would have liked this one as well. <laughs> he looks. There's a mutant. You know, he looks. He looks like Modulock. Yeah, yeah. I thought actually Skeletor sounded a lot like my memory of Modulock's voice from the cartoon series. Hmm. Um. Anyway, what do you think? What do you think of uh, uh, of his sling? As his weapon. Well, I, I saw it more of a whip. And I liked the idea that a character named Flog had a whip as a weapon. Right. Well, he's slinging stuff from the, uh, in the swamp yeah, area. Yeah, it shoots like lasers or whatever. But I, I could see the toy. Like, I could see, oh, he's, he's Flog and he's got a whip. Like, I could sort of see that. And, you know, karate and hoof and this kind of thing. I think, if, I think it's good in a Masters of the Universe kind of way to have yeah. an anachronistic weapon like that. Yeah. I think Slushhead is fine, mm. uh, and he's he's got a garbled voice. He's no merman. Well, but yeah, he's trying to be, and it doesn't quite like. It's like he's he's trying to this kind of garble, <laughs> but he can't maintain it. Like it comes and no. goes. Yeah, I was, I was a little disappointed. Uh, what's what's the one that's just an eyeball? Oh, his head optic. is a big eyeball. Optic. Yeah, we didn't see him in any episodes. Well, apart from being on the bridge. Yeah. Well, he he had a line. In the when we first see him, and he has this right. kind of monotone, not unlike sound wave. Right, right. Looking through these mutants here, I think Karate and Hoove look okay. Mm. I think they all look kind of bland. Like you know, they look fine. Well, they're not great. No, yeah, they just don't look as interesting as because He Man characters. I guess the original Masters of the Universe line. The thing is that they're big and bold and cartoony, whereas mm. these are small with little details, and so it just yeah. kind of doesn't have as much personality. Right. Oh, the one, uh, Krita, barely a mutant. She's just like little blue. Does, does he roll a lot of twenties? What? <laughs> does she, does she? Oh, cause she crit, she crit. Is that her power? She critical hits. <laughs> yeah. A couple of other notes here. I liked, mm. um, in, in the second episode, they recapped what happened in the first episode. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to write down that they, this, this narrator described uh, Skeletor as his forever enemy. <laughs> <laughs> he's got like he's got a locket with Skeletor's picture in it. Yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> there's a couple of funny lines like that, like like when they have in the third episode, when they have the scanner and he has a scanner and they're looking for the mutant ship. It's like, can the can that scanner find their ship and he says the scanner can locate anything as big as their ship <laughs> i just thought that was really funny it's like well it's a huge spaceship this scanner can handle anything that's big enough you know their battleship i think looks pretty good yeah. the time machine snail kind of thing mm. was all right <laughs> this show has some things that are designed pretty well and then other things that had no thought into them like when you think of Masters of the Universe, you think of Eternia or Etheria. Mm -hmm. You think of like the really strange landscapes and woodlands, right? Yeah. And this doesn't have that. Primus is just like, there's some green stuff over there. There's a, tr a regular looking tree and... It needs a sea of cheese. <laughs> yeah. It needs, so it needs something, right? Yeah. Um, He-Man. <laughs> this is a terrible design for He-Man. Yeah. And you know, like, you know how he's got that kind of 
mustache part for the part of his hair. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's got like a, a lot going this way and it bends and a lot going this way and it also bends. Yeah. Man, that's murder for an animator. They, oh, he falls apart. Like his nose, there was one little frame in one of the episodes where I thought, boy, his nose looks really big and bad in that one frame. Mm. Yeah, he's, he's, but even like, even when drawn well, he's just so boring. He's in some blue pants. Yeah, he just looks like a guy. Yeah. He's like, my character wears a white t-shirt and blue jeans, <laughs> except without the white t-shirt. It's astonishing that he seems like the least designed character and is the title character. Yeah, kind of. He's not even, he doesn't, like I said, he doesn't even look strong. Like he gets some bulging muscles and actually looks physically impressive when he's wrecking that clamp thing. But other than that, yeah. he just looks like a dude. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, it's so weird that there are things in this that are kind of good, right? Like the continuity is kind of a neat neat aspect to a show of this era. Yeah. Like I said, when you think about it, Skeletor is kind of cool in the show. Kind of, yeah. The animation is overall pretty good. And yet it just has no personality. It just doesn't have anything to like or take your interest. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of, you know, second rate. I mean, this was... This was a couple of years away from uh, Batman, the animated series. So like mm. like serious action animation was about to take a big step up. But right now, like this is, you know, compared to something um, contemporary like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it kind of mm. looks second rate. Like it's passable. And this is sword and planet. But man, there's not a lot of sword in it. No, not really. No wizards. Not very many anyway. No. Not even, not much of anything, really. Just a lot of lasers and, and even the, like, you know, combat is outlawed. Like, it was actually kind of jarring in the fourth episode where a bunch of people showed up with guns, like heroes showed yes. up with guns. And I think there was some line about, you know, your friends arrived from Titus before we did. It's like, is that a different oh, okay. place where combat is allowed? But like, but then like, yeah. I'm looking at like, okay, the reason why Hydron has a knife strapped to his leg is because the toy does, but you painted yourself into a corner here by saying that combat is outlawed because maybe it's just for clearing brush. <laughs> well, Hydron, his whole, his name and yeah. his look tells me that he's the underwater one for clearing seaweed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He's the brush of the sea. Yeah. I have two other notes, just two things. And then I'm done. Do one. I'll do one. You do one. Okay. Note number one. I hate Kaz. Yeah. In that second episode, he, Oh my gosh, he, <clears throat> every time they told him, like he, all he wants to do is fight mutants. And every time they tell him it's too dangerous, he's there. And mm. I was like, I actually wrote in, I, my first note was an expletive <laughs> relating to Kaz. Yeah. And my note after that was all capital letters that I made. Like I took the time to draw each line very carefully to write in big block letters, I hate Kaz. Mm. And then I wrote, <laughs> if Kaz saves the day, damn it. Because I was convinced <laughs> that he was going to show up at the end and it's a good thing he was there. Otherwise, He-Man's goose was going to be cooked, which would have defeated the entire... Like, I was like, you can't have a little friggin' um, PSA at the end about diving into shallow water and yeah. have this kid 
wade into danger and save the day. And fortunately, they didn't. Sometime but, in 60 episodes, surely. Boy, boy, I uh, hated Kaz. Okay, my thing is this show, like a lot of those Jean Chalopin produced things, has Haim Saban and Shuki Levy music, and yeah. it is pretty lackluster. Yeah, I, I, I saw those names in the credits at yeah. the end of the first episode. So then I would kind of listen in the second episode and go, uh? It's like they're table scraps. Yeah. You know, like they had a, they had a good composition and this was the first draft. They just, I don't know, just put in some beeps and boops. It's CD-ROM level stuff, man. Yeah, 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 you're right, yeah. All right, what's, what's your final note? My final note, um, one of the scientists on the, uh, in, the, in the Quagmi swamps sneezes a few times. Right. And the voice acting is so bad that I couldn't recognize that he was sneezing until someone said, bless you. That sums it up, right? Kind of. So, oh, also, I, that was a really short one. So let me give one more thing. Okay. Um, okay. He-Man, in the fourth episode, when he's going after Skeletor, he arrives on this little flying thing and shoots these two balls that have like an energy beam around them, like a bola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wraps around Skeletor and knocks him down. And then the energy beam disappears and frees him. What an ineffective <laughs> weapon. <laughs> That's like, another this, toy, by the is way. Is this because combat is outlawed on this planet? Or it's like, <laughs> you know, you'll have, a, you'll have a weapon, but, you know, the effects of it are go away after a second. Maybe the bola needed fresh crystals. <laughs> bola yeah, yeah, yeah. crystals or something. <laughs> yeah, what is this thing called? Uh, the bola jet. <laughs> 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 oh, <laughs> that sums it up. <laughs> they would have, if this was original He-Man, it would have been called like the, well, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is the TIE fighter, but that, that they can't do that. Uh, yeah. It would be like the Bolar or, yeah, I don't know, rope wing or something like, I don't know, but man. Sure, sure, sure. Well, anyway, you know, it's funny. Before we record these things, I write up like a little outline of what we're going to talk about. Yeah. And <laughs> Matt, he noted I've written for him. Okay, good riddance to this thing. <laughs> and he, he pointed out, you're always so negative. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I, said, I said, like, I, I like how you always assume we're going to dislike what we just watched. Right. <laughs> this thing, I might watch another episode of my lifetime. <laughs> you know, uh, I'll probably just read a summary to find out, like, all the finer points and how it ends, you know? I actually like the idea of this quite a bit. Like, I thought this was just going to be unwatchable garbage. And there's something here. Like, this idea is something. It's just executed so poorly at every level. Like, the voice acting is terrible. The, 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 um, intricacies, the minutia of the writing Mm. is bad. Right, um, right. The animation is lackluster. The character designs, which are obviously based on the toy designs, but like those designs are just drab. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but the concept of this, some, this yeah, almost there were works. several. There were directions that He Man was going to take after the filmation. Like he was always going to go into outer space. Mm-hmm. So they were going to like a more space based show. Um, I remember there was a line of. Uh, dinosaur toys right right uh there was um 
I said it was always in outer space. There was time before that they were going to do Hero as the next He-Man. Mm-hmm. He's since become like a part of the history of He-Man prior to Prince Adam. Yeah. But uh, he's going to be more like a, a like a hybrid wizard He-Man. Mm. Um, and I think his ally was going to be... Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I bet you never heard this. Uh, Skeletor and Evelyn's son. Skeletine. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. Yeah, there's a DC comic, I think, that has this uh, hypothetical future to Eternia with Hero and Skeletine. That's crazy. <laughs> we ain't done with this, apparently. He-Man all day. Oh, boy. Well, we should come back to this sometime. You know, there's a lot of He-Man. Yeah, yeah. A lot more than you'd expect. There's there's two He-Man series with a third one coming. There's two She-Ra series. There's this new Adventures of He-Man. Yeah, but um, we'll watch something shorter next time. Um, right. We're going to do it's been a while, so we're going to do our standard pair of theatrical shorts each. Well, mm. maybe not theatrical, but you know what I mean? Shorts, like cartoon short shorts. cartoons. Yeah, short cartoons, um, starting with me. And I got a through line for mine. And, <laughs> and for once, I actually noticed it. I got two Woody Woodpeckers for you. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, the first one is called Wet Blanket Policy, and the second one is called Misguided Missile. I went the other way. There's no through line. There's no even quality comparison. Maybe I'll find one. Okay. So the first cartoon is Chargy Man Ken, spelled just like Charge Man Ken. And the episode is Dynamite in the Brain. From 1974. The other one is a Mickey Mouse cartoon. <laughs> okay. Clock Cleaners from 1937. Ooh, that's pretty early. Yeah. Okay. So we can do that. All right. Well, thanks everybody for watching this show with your ears. Uh, let us know what you think of it. Let us know what you'd like to watch. Let us know anything you want. We'll, we'll listen. You know, we... We can't shut you up on Twitter. Uh, I guess I could mute you, but I'm not going to. Uh, you can reach me at AC Matsy on Twitter. And you can find me at Drab Swatch on Twitter. Now, in order to receive your limited edition Matsy doll, send 2,000 box tops, 10 cents, and answer the skill testing celery stalker's slogan I name you Gepple's Goo. <laughs> I like that you listed off exactly the price of the magic pencil. <laughs>